Hi, this is Sam McNeil from Sales Ecosystem with episode two of the Sales Ecosystem show and a big welcome to Brian Clark. Hey Sam, how's it going today? Yeah, good. I'm really excited. Brian, what about you? Very excited. This is one of my favorite segments when we talk about these things. Oh, I know. Is it something that I know from personal experience that you're really passionate about, Brian? Boy, I learned the hard way. Yeah, I think we all did at one stage or another and hopefully what we're going to do for um, our listeners out there is save them some of the heartache and pain that comes from finding this stuff out for yourself. Yeah, that's for sure. Today's uh, segment is focused uh, specifically on finding and identifying your ideal client. The ones where you're going to score the most runs and the ones that's going to make you more money. So why would it be important, Brian, from your perspective, from your standpoint, why would it be important that a business owner takes the time to actually identify the target market and their ideal clients? You bet. Well, first and foremost, driving revenue and profits is our main goal. So if that's our main goal, we want to find the most effective use of our time and our resources to make the biggest bang for buck. And if you want to go out and try to find everybody who will make a purchase or buy your services or product, you're going to be spending a lot of time, money, and shoe leather looking for those people. So what we do is we actually identify and get very specific So instead of aiming your gun out there at every bird that flies by, you're actually aiming at ones that you can hit and the ones that will bring home some money. So um, again, there's a number of questions you can look at in terms of identifying these people. But first and foremost, if it seems counterintuitive to you about narrowing your market, just stay with us for a while and I'm sure that we'll make a very compelling what we're going to teach you how to do. Okay, that sounds great, Brian. And um Listeners may recall from the first episode of the Sales Ecosystem Show, we were focusing on the fact that um, one of the main ways that you increase your revenue is by getting more people to trust you, to know, like, and trust you, because when people trust you, they're much more likely to buy from you. Um, And with that in mind, I guess that feeds in as well, Brian, into um, why it's important to define your target market, is, is to help build trust, and you can only build trust with people who you take the time to have some kind of relationship with. And you probably can't have that kind of um, trusting relationship with everyone um, simply because you, you can't spread yourself that far and that wide. That's exactly right. Start to ask yourself a few questions. You know, First of all, what type of client do you really want to do business with? Are there industries and businesses out there that you're just naturally attracted to? I mean, I can use my own example. I really enjoy talking to people in the ICT industry. Um, I enjoy those sorts of discussions. I tend to enjoy... Uh, working with those sorts of organizations are typically fairly dynamic and technically based. So I really enjoy working in that sector. But you have to ask yourself honestly, what type of client do you want to do business with? And then you have to ask yourself, okay, well, who's going to give you the greatest return on your marketing investment? Who's most likely to buy what you have to sell? And the thing is, you've always got to ask yourself, why? Why would they buy from you? And you're exactly right, Sam. They've got to trust you first. Yeah, they sure do. And, and they've certainly got to trust you. And I think the question you asked at the end of uh, your little comment there, Brian, is really important. And um, why does somebody buy from you? Because um, mm. I know when I ask business owners that question, they, they, kind of, they kind of look at you to start with as, are you gone mad? <laughs> now, for example, somebody who sells software that does and um, helps with um, timesheet management looks at you blankly and says, well, people buy my software because they need timesheet management software. Or a plumber will say, well, it's because they need plumbing services. Or a consultant will say, 
it's because they need strategic advice. Yeah. But in reality, yep. I, I think you'll agree, Brian, that those aren't the real reasons why people buy from a, a business. No, those are just scratching the surface, Sam. Very much just scratching the surface because people, there's plenty of providers out there of any product and service. We all know that. Uh, the world has become uh, commoditized in all but a very few industries. So uh, when we're out there um, attempting to uh, grow our revenues, we're going to be competing with a lot more uh, competitors who are um, a lot more savvy and a lot more sophisticated maybe than what they uh, have been in the past. And as well, there's a lot more um, avenues of marketing opening up to us all the time. And so uh, the more specific we are, the better we are at uh, being able to tackle these people head-on, face-to-face, uh, with the tools that we have at our disposal. So one of the things I recommend doing is actually doing what you just mentioned, and that is I go out and I actually ask clients a uh, quick little survey. Uh, you can use something like SurveyMonkey, uh, which is a free service online. Um, there's plenty of other tools. In fact, Sam, you and I have a survey tool that we can use to do this for, um, for our clients, and we have, go out and ask them. Ask them a few questions. Why do you buy from us? Um, what differentiates us from other people that you've maybe done business with in the past? Um, is there anything that I could do better? How did you find me? Questions like that. You need information. Don't just guess this one through and think you're on the right track because the results of your survey can really surprise you. Yeah, it sure can, Brian. Um, it brings to mind, actually, um, a client that we've been working with for a couple of years now. They... Um, of all the bizarre things for business to do, they sell metal alloys. But um, So they sell metal alloys, and they did this little survey, exactly as you're describing, Brian, to their clients. And when I asked them, before they did the survey, actually, when I asked them, why do people buy from you? Their answer was, well, we're in the commodity business. We sell the same metal alloys that 50 other people sell. So people buy from us for two reasons. Number one, because we offer the best price. And number two, because we offer the best delivery, so they get it to people faster. What they wow. found when they ran this survey was those were not the reasons people were buying from them. The main reason people were buying from them was because any time a client or customer called this business, this business would never say, no, we don't have that in stock, or no, we can't find that, or no, that, that isn't technically feasible. What this business would do is say, okay, we need to get back to you, and what they do is they go off and find the solution, wherever it might be on the planet, and bring that solution to where their customer or client was. And that was the number one reason people were buying from them, because they solved problems for people. And that's the power of asking these sorts of survey questions you're talking about, Brian, that it really does bring out into the open the real reasons why people buy from your business, as opposed to what you might believe the reasons are. Um, and, of course, that leads you to all kinds of um, interesting um, pathways in terms of your marketing. You bet it does. And if you're afraid of asking these questions, which, uh, let's be honest, most of us are. I mean, if we've got a good client, one of the last things we feel like doing is going in there and exploring and possibly opening up any uh, thoughts or questions around our uh, relationship. But uh, all I can say is if you got the fear, feel the fear and do it anyway because the results you're going to get are uh, – are pretty uh, pretty powerful stuff, you know, Sam. Um, I'm going to introduce a couple of uh, big words into our discussion now. That um, uh, two big words that I think uh, we all need to get very clear on in terms of what kind of information we're going to start capturing about our clients and our and our, and our ideal clients. 
And so uh, hold on to your chair here. I'm going to give you two big words. Uh, I'm, holding first on, one is, I'm holding on to my chair. <laughs> yeah, good on you. Um, the first one is uh, demographics. Whoa. And I think we've all heard that one before in different contexts. But um, these are basically looking and identifying at the characteristics um, that identify a client that has a need to purchase your uh, product or service. And the other big one, the big one is psychographics. Oh, that sounds scary. And this one is kind of scary, actually, because this one is what actually motivates a person or another company to want to buy your product and service. In other words, one is the characteristics of the people who are buying your product and service, and the second one, psychographics, is what's motivating them to do so. And mate, if you can start to capture some of this profile information, you are going to be well ahead of your competitors. Sounds, um, it sounds both, uh, at the same time, Brian, it sounds both a bit scary, but also I can begin to see the power behind that and hope the listeners can as well. Mm. So what you're saying then, if I've got it right, and I'll just check I have, demographics is about um, uh, the characteristics, how you describe the people who are buying from you. And I think what you're saying is psychographics is what's going on in, in the minds of those people that make them buy, what motivates them to buy from one supplier versus another supplier. Did we get that right? You got that spot on, mate. And in fact, I've got one of my clients' uh, ideal clo <clears throat> excuse me, ideal client profiles in front of me, and this one's actually been done in a mind map. And uh, just so that we can, uh, you know, make sure this hits home, um, the demographics that these people target are companies with employee numbers over 200 uh, in the mining and energy and financial services industries with revenues over five million bucks. And um, so they got a pretty, pretty good uh, uh, understanding of what the demographics are. And uh, they also include the fact that the client needs to be either in Australia or North America. And then when we're looking at um, the psychographics, what they've identified is that these people are interested in um, uh, compliance management, risk management. Um, the decision makers are typically people in the learning and development or human resource area. And um, they are also people who like to have long-term engagements with suppliers, um, don't tend to use tenders in order to find a supplier, and also are great referrers to other people in their network. And um, we'll be talking about referral marketing in another segment, but um, that's just to give you an idea of how one of our clients has actually uh, identified their demographic and psychographic profiles. Yeah, I think that's really a really useful example, Brian, to kind of bring those definitions to life for people. Um, I guess if, if I'm thinking about this from the standpoint of a business owner here, um, having understood what demographics and psychographics are, maybe if we start off with demographics um, as number one, I guess the question would be, Brian, um, if I'm running my business, um, how do I go about identifying the demographics of, I think, the phrase you used at the start of, of my ideal clients? So yep. what are the sorts of characteristics I'm looking to identify about my ideal clients then? For the demographic stuff, Sam? Yep, yep. Okay. Well, here's a few of them. I guess uh, you could, uh, depending upon what you sell, uh, could be um, where they're located. Uh, you know, uh, you may want to focus your energies on people within your local area, or maybe if you're uh, selling a uh, product uh, that has a broader reach, if it's an online product or something similar, it doesn't really matter where people are located anymore. But um, maybe uh, maybe you need to uh, restrict that a little bit and focus in on um, 
uh, a geographic locale uh, in order to get the, um, the business up and, and running. Um, you could also uh, look and say, uh, what industry are they in? What types of products and services do they sell? Do what they sell and what industry they're in have some um, interest in my um my passions. Do I get excited when I go out and meet um, people uh, who are in the building and construction industry? Do I get excited when I talk with architects or engineers or massage parlors or veterinarians? So it doesn't really matter who they are, but it has to keep you interested. You have to have a passion for that. Um, it has to be people that you like to talk to. And it could be you know, people who are uh, in a profession or vocation that you once were in. Uh, so you're bringing along that expertise that you have um, to help sustain a good relationship. It might be uh, the type of um, the size of the revenue. So you might want to say, well, I prefer to work with um, businesses that turn over a million bucks, you know, because uh, they tend to be ones who are um, uh, can afford my services, my products or services. They, uh, they're usually not penny pinching. They're usually not uh, as hesitant, maybe, as somebody with a lower turnover at using me. So revenue is also a good one. Um, do they have branch offices? Um, do they have a big supply chain? Can I work through their supply chain? Um, how is the organization structured? And another one, you know, which uh, came up in a conversation with me over the weekend was, um, you know, have you looked on their website and looked at their mission statement and their values? And are those aligned with uh, what you're all about? You know, um, there's been a lot of conversation in the last few weeks about, um, uh, you know, overseas factories with um, uh, people making that lovely silver machine that you're sitting in front of, Sam, and um, some yeah. of the implications around the um, uh, what that all means. And, and you do. You need to be. Uh, you need to go as deep as you want to go in order to make sure that these are the kind of people you want to be doing business with. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I guess I, I can throw in a couple of examples there from some of our clients from um, recent weeks and months. Brian, um, we mentioned in the last the last episode of this podcast, uh, Fred the Riffing Guy. Oh yeah. Um, and just one one small example from what Fred did uh, before Fred tried to answer this question for himself in terms of you know what the characteristics of my ideal clients. He was trying to sell to everyone in the area that that we're in here, which um, happens to be Southeast Queensland. Um, when he went from that as being his target market, which is really poorly defined and, and very widespread and very difficult for a relatively small business to get any kind of message out to that size of market, when he narrowed his market right down to, in actual fact, three suburbs all next to each other, all with houses built around about the same time, all with people with the same kind of roofing problems and issues, as we said last week, his business went gangbusters, and, and without dwelling on that part of it, the, the smart thing that Fred did was he sat down and he said, answered exactly those questions you're describing there, Brian. Who are the people he likes working with? And in actual fact, in his case, it was people who've either got problems or more particularly people who he can help who are about to have problems but don't realize they're about to have problems. Yeah, true. So he went through that whole process and, and it's a great result for him. And he's in the, the business to consumer space, um, but also in the business to business space. Um, you and I, Brian, must be almost a year ago now, maybe even longer. We lose track of time sometimes. But um, we were working with a, a reasonably sizable building supplies company. And um, one of the things they found when they started to answer these questions was that, in actual fact, the kind of people they like dealing with were almost diametrically, like almost 180 degrees opposite to the people who they were currently trying to sell to. 
That was amazing, that one. Uh, and that just um, is mind-blowing. So, so there you have a, a team of about four, four to five, because one of them was part-time, but four to five salespeople out flogging their life away, trying to sell stuff to people they do not like dealing with, they do not like selling to. And in actual fact, by identifying that and changing who they were targeting, they changed some other aspects of, of who they were targeting as well, but just by targeting people who they actually enjoyed working with and whose That's problems right. ends up, uh, who they enjoyed solving, um, that went from $20,000 sales at a time to million-dollar sales at a time. Yeah, I remember having that conversation with you and how many times uh, they had to call on these uh, small customers and then they had uh, lots of outstanding debts. Um, you know, they had to, by the time they ended up actually probably getting the money for all of these small orders, they probably burned it all in trying to chase up the uh, the, the cash in the first place. <laughs> it was a pretty sad story. It, it was, and it was people putting their hearts and souls every day of every working week into, you know, pounding the streets, trying to sell to people like that, like you just described. And almost overnight, the, the sense of relief from moving to selling to those people who you don't really want to sell to, to selling to a whole different market with a whole different set of problems, but who your, your products help solve the problems that those guys have. It just changes the whole feeling of a business, the whole mood of where the business is going. Um, even gives the business owner a real sense of, hey, we're moving forwards again, having been stuck for a long time. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, so I think I think there's um, a lot of value in going through those kind of questions you're, you're talking about there, Brian, in terms of identifying the characteristics of your ideal client. Yep. Um, so let's suppose then that we've identified some of these um, ideal characteristics, you know, the sorts of things you're saying, like how many employees do they have, whereabouts are they, what types of products or services do they provide? Who do they sell to? Maybe some things about their branch offices, like you said, and mm. other things about uh, those particular kinds of people. So assuming you've done that bit, you can describe your ideal client from a demographic standpoint. Um, the second big word you used was psychographics, which I think you, you, you were saying there was trying to get into the head a bit in terms of what motivates them to buy from one supplier versus another supplier. So how, how do we do that, Brian? Okay, mate. Um, there's a few things you can do, and this comes back also to looking at uh, going back to your existing clients and asking a few questions. Um, you know, you gotta you gotta get into how these people think. You you need to get into their shoes. And so, the biggest mistake you can make in psychographic uh, analysis is to think you know, uh, because in actual fact, uh, as you said earlier, the results may uh, may surprise you. So. Um, uh, you know, you can set up all sorts of surveys. I mean, we've, we've had some ones that have been created, uh, you know, to be kind of fun, um, you know, and if you've got a good relationship with an existing client, mate, you're not going to be that uh, nervous about giving them a call and asking them, you know, why do you buy what I sell? Um, what do you like most about my business? What do you like least about my business? Um is there any other product or service that you would like to see me offer? For instance, you might uncover from this one question the fact that uh, you know your your client is uh, loyally making his purchases uh, from you. But like in your example, uh, you mentioned before, Sam, of the alloy supplier, uh, the fact that they say they don't have 
they never ever admit to um, not having something in stock or that they cannot get anything opens up even more doors for them. So, um, you know, you might find out that uh, your clients out there actually would like it if you supplied something else and you've got another whole uh, revenue stream coming at you. Um, you know, if you had three wishes, what would you wish for when doing business with me? You know, um, do are my invoices correct? Uh, do you spend a lot of time on the phone waiting for a response from my customer service team? What problems, concerns, or frustrations uh, do you have? Um, and what one thing would you love to see different or improved? Um, I remember a long time ago, you know, when, when I was uh, actually uh, uh, selling uh, uh, into um, one of the divisions of BHP, you know, um, uh, one of the guys basically, he, um, he, he, I asked him outright, and he said, well, one thing that would differentiate you from your, um, uh, you know, your competitors is the fact uh, that I'd like to see you come out and visit me once or twice a month, you know, and look at the plans that I'm quoting on uh, looking at what upcoming projects we have because frankly the other guys have gotten lazy and uh, basically in those days uh, by the way Sam um, we didn't have email mate so we used to yeah. fax uh, <laughs> our quotes and uh, this guy was just getting sick and tired of getting a pile of faxes and uh, no interaction with his major supplier so that was just one thing I uncovered and that lesson stuck with me for a long time yeah I didn't realize you were as old as that Brian going back to the days uh, of faxes eh? <laughs> Mate, the wisdom and silver hair. Something like that, Brian, something like that. Yeah, no, that, that's a really good example, actually. And, and it is surprising when you, as you said, Brian, it's really surprising sometimes when you go and ask people, like, you know, what the, you know, if you had three wishes about um, how you would choose what we sell, how, what would they be in terms of the supply you're dealing with? And, um, and this applies, actually, Brian, you know, I think you'll agree to all scales of business. I was speaking to, like, um, a very small business a couple of weeks ago um, and this by very small we're actually talking here about a home-based business so that's how small it was a micro business a tiny business and they were selling a physical product online and one of the things I suggested to them because business wasn't going too well for them I said well why do people buy the product you're selling online and, and what makes them buy from one supplier versus another one they couldn't answer that, so they sent a simple, as you suggested, Brian, they sent a simple bunch of questions, email questions, out to people who had bought from them. And the biggest thing that came back was, because people were buying a physical product, they felt really nervous about buying it online without seeing it first. Yep. So what we did for them is we made one simple change to their business. We said, well, that's the biggest thing stopping people buying, and if their biggest wish is, which they said it was, if we could get the product first and touch it and feel it before deciding whether to buy it, that's the thing that would make us commit to the purchase or, or commit to trying it before buying it. So we changed their model from one where you have to pay up front and then you get the product to one where you get the product and we'll charge you in seven days' time from when you've received it. But if during that seven days you decide it ain't for you, you don't like it for whatever reason, then just send it back and we won't charge you. Ah, good one. Good one. And since they've done that, since they got into the mind of their buyer to understand what's what's you know what's in the mind of that person thinking about buying and how can I help them to make the purchasing decision, since mm. they've done that, just in the space of a couple of weeks, and um, their online sales have really taken off. Um, and so that's just that one very fantastic. simple example from a micro business. But that that I think Brian is is the kind of thing we're talking about, isn't it? Getting into the head of what's the person buying, what are they thinking. What's making them either hold off from buying from you or what's making them buy from someone else and not you? You bet, mate. You know, um, 
uh, it comes down also to uh, wants versus needs, you know. Um, you know, it, it's an interesting question. Uh, you know, you ask yourself, well, you know, what's the difference between a want and a need? But, you know, when each of us ask ourselves those questions, you know, let's, for instance, let's use a simple example. For uh, We go out and we, we know we need a new um, laptop computer. Um, you know, you, you actually need this to conduct business. But once you actually get inside of a store, what takes uh, what takes over? Um, it's your want, it's your desire, and it's your uh, motivation, which drives you towards, say, one model or another, which may be an aesthetic thing for uh, for people um, maybe like me who like a look of something, and for somebody else it might be the technical specifications. But whatever it is, that overrides um, the need. Uh, the need has now been uh, uh, sublimated beneath the the want, and you then drive that even further, and you say. And, and, and we all know this, but there's always going to be clients um, for whom price is the only consideration that they use when making a buying decision. So everything focuses on price. And my question to our listeners um, is, um, you know, are those the people that you want as clients? And I would say they're not. And I would say that if that's what motivates a client or a prospect to uh, make a buying decision, then they probably wouldn't be included in my ideal client profile. Yeah, yeah, for sure, and and for obvious reasons, I guess, which is if somebody's just buying on price, they're always, always, always going to choose the lowest price. Mm. And as soon as you get into that dogfight, then it's real hard to make a profit in any business. Ah, uh, that's that's a horrible spiral because once you start it, it never ends. Yeah, you know? yeah. Now th this thing, Brian, you're talking about there about the wants versus needs. That that's really interesting stuff because I guess that that. The way that I've always thought about that, Brian, is um, you know, the, the needs are kind of the logical part of the decision-making process, mm. um, and the want part of it is much more emotional, and, and it's it's not necessarily quite so tangible. You um, bet. And uh, as you said, it's sometimes it's the aesthetic things, but oftentimes it's the emotional things that just make you want something. Yep. Um, and that, that's why I think it's important to make sure you do go and ask people who are already ideal clients of yours what made them buy. Because if you can understand that, then you can, you can then begin to, both your message and how you deal with people, you begin to try and get into that conversation that's going on in their head already about, yeah, logic tells me I should be buying a family saloon car, but the reality is I really like that little red sports number sitting in the Nissan parking lot over there. Uh, we're back on the Nissans again, are we, Sam? We are. Um, for listeners who probably may not know, I'm a big fan of the Nissan sports cars. Um, mm. I've had three 200SXs, all red, and my next car is probably going to be a Nissan 370Z, but um, leaving that to one side. Um, it comes back to, if I was looking at my purchasing decision from a logical basis, I was to draw up my list of, here's my buying criteria, here's what I need from a new car, Probably one of the last cars that would pop out of that from a logical standpoint would be a Nissan 370Z. Well, that would be true, particularly if um, if your wife is looking at something like a minivan, Sam. Um, by the way, you're probably going to get inundated with phone calls from uh, Nissan <laughs> salespeople now. I, I probably am, such such as the um, such as the uh, rich of the internet. Mm -hmm. um, exactly. But the reality is decisions, old decisions about buying, part of it is emotion, and a lot of times the emotion actually, as you said, overrides the um, the logic. Yeah, for sure. Do you remember the old term, hot buttons? I sure do, yeah. Yeah, I mean, 
Boy, there's another uh, maybe sign of our uh, our chronology there, mate. But um, it really is. It's getting in and understanding what are those hot buttons because the hot button presses the want. Yeah, sure does. Yeah. So I guess if the uh, Nissan example there, Sam, a hot button for you would be maybe you mentioned color. It could be performance, prestige. Yeah, and, and, and with me, um, for all the Nissan budding um, sales guys out there who are about to call me, <laughs> and what they're called, it's performance. So one of the great things about the Nissan sports cars and those out there who drive them know what I'm talking about is the dual turbocharger on them. Um, so basically when you put your foot on the accelerator, the thing takes off like it's got a rocket attached to it. And that's the real fun of driving those particular Nissans. Um, and and that, that's what it is for me. So if anybody out there who's selling cars who's not a Nissan dealer but works for another car company, you now know what the hot button for me is. <laughs> you bet. Let, let me test something here. Sure. Um, let me let me put something forward and see uh, what, what comes back. So really what matters... Uh, what matters isn't the price. What matters is the value. And the value for you, just using again this Nissan example, is the pleasure that this uh, this particular product is going to provide you. And it will have some utilitarian value as well in terms of being able to transport you from uh, client meetings and other engagements. But really it has a value. And, and the value that you receive from it determines the price, and it's not the other way around. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, let's look, look look at it from the other direction as well. I mean, what's the difference between half a ton of metal dressed up as a Nissan 370Z and half a ton of metal dressed up as a panel van? They both perform the same function. They get you from point A to point B. Uh, probably the panel van costs a bit less to run in terms of petrol and um, other bits and bobs. But the value, as you say, Brian, comes from not that it gets you from A to B, but from the way in which it gets you from A to B for me in that particular instance. You bet, mate. And that's the other maxim of this whole thing, which is most clients will uh, you know, gladly pay a higher price if um, what they're getting um, or what you're offering gives them enough value to warrant the price differential. Absolutely. And, and let's, let's take that conversation then, Brian, back to not me and my car, my car fetishes, but... Um, back to the company selling metal alloys. Mm. You see, with them, once we discovered that one of the reasons people, in fact, the main reason people were buying from them is because they never said no. They would always find the alloy and they'd always deliver it. And they'd always do that in a speedy way. What we were then able to do with those guys was say, well, okay, if that's why people are buying from you, they're not buying from you because of price, which is one of the main two main reasons they thought beforehand. So they're not buying from you because you're offering the lowest price. Then actually, guess what? That means you don't have to be offering the lowest price. Yep. Which means That's without, right. without being outrageous about it, you know, in their case, what it meant was instead of making a tiny margin, which they were, a net margin of about 3% on what they were selling, they're able to bump that up to slightly more healthy 9 or 10% without wow. losing a single dollar's worth of sales. But, and with no, no more effort in selling either, they were able to return a much healthier profit because they understood this notion of why people were buying from them and the fact that people were prepared to pay a higher price because in the mind of buyers, they were providing a higher value, a higher level of service and getting things that other people couldn't get. Yep. Um, so as well as the, the, the kind of, um, I was going to say flippant, but it's not flippant to me, is 
as well as the flippant side of things about you know me and Nissan's, um, the whole thing there is about from a serious business standpoint, if you can tap into what your buyer perceives as being of value, you can charge a premium price. You're no longer in the commodity business. Good point, mate. And that's exactly what we want to get out of. Absolutely. Um, so we've talked a lot today, Brian, about um, defining your target market, understanding who your ideal um, customers or clients are. And we talked about ways of doing that in terms of asking existing customers and clients questions to understand, as you said, about the de demographics, which is a little bit about the physical stuff, who they are, where they are, what they do. We've talked about making sure they're people who you like doing business with. And we've talked about some of the notions of um, wants versus needs yep. um, and how you can actually extract higher value from that. But I guess bringing it back to where we started it from, if you've got a really crisp description, Brian, of um, the physical characteristics of an ideal client and you know a bit about what makes them buy from you, then I guess from a marketing standpoint, it might seem an obvious question, but nonetheless I'll ask it. From a marketing standpoint, what do, you, what do you do with that information? So I understand who's buying from me in an ideal sense. I understand mm -hmm. what makes them buy. So what, what difference does that make to how I conduct my marketing? Okay. It has everything to do with how you conduct your marketing because what we're going to do now um, or what you're going to do now is once you have that information, you are going to craft your marketing messages. And not only are you going to craft your marketing messages, but you're also going to determine what marketing channels and or tools you are going to use to communicate effectively with that market. And um, I mean, there's plenty of examples here. I mean, some uh, if you're in uh, business to consumer, uh, you know, and you may be a, a tradesman, you may find that the most effective means of reaching your target market is uh, direct mail, post box drops, and uh, maybe advertising in a local um, newspaper of some description. Um, if you're a business to business, uh, you may need a, a combination, uh, more maybe a more sophisticated strategy that includes um, some social media, some uh, direct mail, maybe some telephony. You know, there's all sorts of different ways. But in fact, Sam, I think we have a document somewhere that lists what is it, twenty odd different marketing channels uh, that you can use to contact your target market, but how can you use any of those if you don't know what your target market is? So two steps or two tools that come out of this are, one, crafting your messages so that it hits the so-called hot buttons, the wants, um, and two, uh, once you have those messages, then you need to find a means of actually communicating them. Yeah, okay. I think I get it, Brian. So that's um, that's good stuff. So. The reason for doing this is, as you say, unless you understand who your ideal clients and your target market are, how do you know what to say to them and how do you know what way to um, communicate with them? That's right. And I forgot to add, you know, um, anybody listening to this who wants to get a form, uh, we have uh, uh, forms uh, to assist you in doing your demographic and psychographic research. Uh, we have forms for both business to consumers businesses and business-to-business -business businesses, if that makes sense, Sam. But, uh, yeah, we have uh, documentation that uh, we can send to you to help you undertake this process, um, and all you need to do is make contact with us via our website. That's right. All the contact details are right here on the website you're on right now, which is salesecosystem.net. So, um, yeah, if you want any of that stuff, 
please reach out to us. Um, we don't charge for it, and we're nice, friendly guys to talk to. So yeah, give us a call. Um, That's exactly. And I think Brian, the, the subject of um, your core marketing message would make a really good topic. I think for the, the next podcast. What do you reckon? Oh, mate, I'm already looking forward to it. That's uh, that's a goodie, and there's a lot in that, eh? Oh, there sure is, and, and that's one of my favorites. I just uh, I love that stuff. Um, and maybe next week, uh, I think one of the things that brings the core marketing message to life is lots of examples. So we'll try and make sure we give you lots of examples in the next um, podcast, the next Sales Ecosystem show. Mm. Um, any final remarks from you, Brian? No, Sam, I think uh, we've pretty well covered it off. I just want to make sure that the uh, listeners are clear that they can contact us and uh, we're going to send them out these forms. Uh, but um, if you need help, uh, you know, that's what we're here. That's what we're all about. We're here to grow businesses, and that's what gives us our buzz. And um, and uh, if you're listening to us, um, you know, you can, uh, you can, you know, raise anything with us and uh, we're here to help we just want to make that uh, absolutely clear next time we'll talk about the different channels and um, I was just thinking you know Sam it'd be kind of cool what I'll do is I'll uh, put together a list of uh, clients uh, then you and I can maybe uh, share some notes and um, we'll take a few from some disparate industries so we try to cover as many bases as we can yeah for sure and just on that point Brian anyone who's listening in if you want us to have a bit of a think about your particular type of business um, we even look at your specific business if you want but certainly your type of business then drop us an email, give us a call and we'll cover off how we would look at that from a marketing message and marketing channel standpoint um, on the next podcast uh, darn good idea Sam, well done ok thanks mate, ok well until next time Brian you have a great week yeah you too Sam, see you soon, see ya, bye bye